the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik. I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. And I am, for those of you who don't know, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions. And for the last 13 years, Financing Solutions has been the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for small nonprofits. It's a great product. It's very, very well liked. We have a five-star rating on Google reviews and the Better Business Bureau, too. So if you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your for your organization, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor today, as we usually do, Arrays Fast Fund Online, which is an accounting software that's specifically used for small to medium-sized nonprofits. If you're using QuickBooks or something else, I would sincerely suggest that you look at a race and that's all they do is nonprofits. It's a significant difference. Um, and I'm a big proponent of software that's built for an industry. Uh, you can visit their website at arrays.com, A-R-A-I-Z-E.com. And uh, today um, I am very excited to be speaking with Barbara O'Reilly from Windmill Consult, I'm sorry, Windmill Hill Consulting. And today's topic is going, to, is going to be fundraising trends that we're seeing at nonprofits. Uh, Barbara has 30 years of annual fund, major gifts, and campaign fundraising experience at major nonprofit organizations, including Harvard University, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, Oxford University in England, and the American Red Cross. Her consulting firm, Windmill Hill Consulting, helps nonprofit organizations peel back the layers and develop a profitable fundraising strategy to build more effective donor relationships and catapult the revenue. She serves as past president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Washington, D.C. Metro Chapter, and as a former member of the advisory panel for Rogar I, the Rogar fundraising... I, yeah. A, the fundraising think tank in the UK. And she has a lot of other accolades, including that she's uh, she speaks very uh, a lot. So as as a as a very informative uh, speaker in this space. So um, so Barbara, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Nice to speak with you again. So it's the end of the year of 2023, and uh, so. You know, originally, just so everyone knows in the title, I put 2023 fundraising trends we're seeing at nonprofits. I kind of take the 2023 out because I did want to cover what trends we had seen in the past and mm -hmm. now what it is. So so let's let's just start off with, uh, you know, the big question, and that is in 2023, what have been the three biggest trends that you've seen? Oh, so uh, where to start? I feel like... Um the biggest headline uh, for sure is always the annual Giving USA report, which comes out in June. And for the last, um, I would say probably three years or so, it has been record setting amounts. Um, and uh, this year, the, the headline that many people saw was that giving was down, which yes, it it's true. It was down adjusted for inflation um, from the previous year, from 2022. 
And but really, it was about four hundred and ninety nine billion dollars with a B. So it was down from I think five hundred and fourteen billion from the previous year. So well, yeah, where, where was it since twenty nineteen? So twenty nineteen is when COVID started. Um, my understanding, twenty nineteen, and I don't know the statistics, was a you know a great year. So it was twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say twenty twenty was a great year, and then it's been falling off since. Is that true? No. So it's been 2020, 2021 were two record setting years of sort of 400 and uh, in the 400s of billions of dollars. So 430, I think, 440 in that range. Um, and uh, 2022, um, it continued that upward trend, which was surprising because often what we see is when there are record setting years, we start to see things level off and, and they sort of plateau, but it's still that trend line because of um, the post-pandemic world we were living in, because of all of the increased needs around social justice and reform, political causes were also starting to really um, catch people's attention a little bit more. Um, there was also um, the Dobbs Act, which went into effect, which also spurred a lot of um, uh, philanthropy, increased philanthropy. So it continued to climb. What we saw, uh, what we saw, though, was that it started to level off, and it, it was. It's a nice headline to say, you know, yes, giving has down. Um, and I, I actually, I should correct myself that it was the twenty twenty three report reports on twenty twenty two. So it it did level off a little bit, but it not by much because, in fact, um, get what we are also seeing is that. Um, you know, after two record-setting years, it's it's not surprising that it starts to um, to to sort of stabilize, and people are giving in lots of different ways now. So the Giving USA report tracks um, uh, tracks giving to nonprofit organizations, so registered five hundred one c three charities. But what we've seen uh, surprisingly over the last few years is that there's been a surge in a lot of um, GoFundMe pages, people-to-people contributions, um, and other acts of generosity that are not captured in the Giving USA methodology. Um, And nor does the report claim that it it will be capturing those. So what we're seeing is that there's um, a, a rise in donors still wanting to do something, but all finding lots of different paths to express their generosity and their interest to do good. So I think that's um, that's one of the headlines. The other headline, which pr- probably needs to get a little bit more attention, but which has not yet, uh, is that we have been seeing an alarming decline over the last 20 years in the number of donors and volunteers. So um, this uh, research has been showing that the number of donors has been declining by about 20% since 20 years ago. That's a, a, a downward trajectory. So again, we're seeing that people are, um, there are, I think th- there's a lot of research that's happening now about the factors for that. A lot of it is, some of it is perhaps the way nonprofits are engaging with their donors, are thinking about donor relationships and that donor experience. But some of it is outside of the, do- the nonprofit um, control, which are 
uh, societal factors. Um, there's often been a correlation between uh, religious uh, institutions and religious attendance um, of, in houses of worship versus um, uh, people's ability and interest to want to be, you know, part of their communities and giving back in that sort of way. We also see that there's um, the the way we think about our own communities and our own neighborhoods is so very different than it was. Um, uh, 20, even 20 years ago, and certainly 20 years before that. So there are a lot of different factors that are influencing the, that fact that people are, they're starting to not give charitably. Uh, and that's one thing that we do have to worry about. And it's the same for volunteers. And again, I would, um, the research is still being done about what those causes are, but a lot of, of our sort of just how we exist as society now um, uh, we are, although we're in a hyper-connected 21st century world, our time is even more limited than it ever was. Um, we are, um, you know, tethered to all of our various devices and facing lots of different demands on our time. So the ability to be able to give back or the interest to be able to carve out whatever free time we have to be a volunteer um, gets minimized with all the other things that we face uh, in our day- daily lives. So I would say those are um, those are trends that we really do have to watch because it may not necessarily be affecting any individual nonprofit, but collectively for the sector, these are things that um, that we're seeing as a whole that have to be um, that really have to be watched carefully so that it doesn't start to erode and affect each individual nonprofit. Yeah, I you know a little bit torn because. You know, when I hear four hundred was a four hundred ninety billion dollars donated to nonprofits, is that was it the figure or something like that? Yeah, and yeah. it was okay, five hundred fifteen so, billion, uh, and then it came uh, the in twenty twenty one, and then it was four hundred ninety nine in twenty twenty. So, uh, if I was an executive director at a nonprofit, or you know, I am on board, so but I'd be like, there's four hundred ninety billion dollars that are being donated out there. And, and, you know, we're getting 2 million of it. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I don't, just because there's a, uh, an upward trend, a downward trend, there yeah. is a huge pie that I am not getting a hold of. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the way I would look at it. I'd say is it's got nothing to do. I think, you know, listen, understanding the macroeconomics of, mm-hmm. of it is, I think is important. Right. But, you know, if you're a three million dollar nonprofit, you should expect. Um, if I'm the executive director or I'm on the board, I'm like, we should be growing this at a 20, 30, 40 percent clip year over year, you know. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing that, then we're not getting, we're not executing well. We're not getting the word out. We don't, you know, we need to. We really, we really need to get back to the basics. I'm not saying like, you know, maybe you did. Maybe you did one million one year and two million next year and three million. I mean, that's good. You're doing really well. It's great growth. Um, and but if you're not doing that, then I think you need to look under the covers and say why are why aren't we doing it? I don't really care that we did that. The industry did four hundred ninety billion dollars. It's just yeah. to me, you know. I mean, it, yeah. What do you think? Do you think that they're you know how does macroeconomic net, net, now listen if you're part of the American Red Cross or something mm-hmm. like that those figures do mean a lot mm. right but what so what do you think yeah well yes um I completely appreciate that those trends that we're seeing across the sector 
may have little to no relevance to um, the you know the sort of uh, average nonprofit who's a midsize and you know bringing into three million dollars a year um, operating budget and and it doesn't feel like that that piece of that pie is really coming to them. But I would say also um, there is a um, a continued worrying trend of um, not investing in the resources that nonprofits need to grow. So too often I see nonprofits who don't have fundraising staff, don't have enough fundraising staff, the fundraising staff that they might have, have three different core job responsibilities, which aren't only fundraising. And the reality is um, that without that human capacity to be able to build donor relationships, to really focus on all the tactics and strategies that go into ensuring a donor experience, continued fundraising outreach, it, that isn't going to be something that can grow and scale over time. So um, I see very, very often um, executive directors and nonprofit leaders who think, well, we don't have the budget to, you know, to pay for someone who's not program, who's not directly doing the work that we are set out to do. Um, and I would, I would encourage, and I always do when I'm working with organizations to really flip that script a bit and say, what is it that you need to be doing, to be doing great work, to be having impact and results that you can measure and, and celebrate that will help to solve the problems you were set up to do? And what is required to do that and map it out because most likely it's probably, it's like a, probably a two or three X what their current operating budget is uh, at the minimum. And so then they have to say, well, where can we, what do we need to start to raise more money? And it might be that they have to temporarily pause um, the program capacity so that they can invest in themselves because that's the thing. It's this mindset of, um, scarcity that really holds back the sector from investing in what is truly needed to be able to scale and grow. And um, the the burnout rate, um, the state of mental health of fundraisers and nonprofit leaders, uh, particularly as we are emerging out of COVID and the pandemic uh, and all of the other added stresses um, that we've experienced over the last few years, that's a that's a growing reality because this, the workforce is starting to shrink as well. Um, and so fundraisers got fed up and they left because they were tired of the extraordinary demands on their time with limited resources uh, and, and, um, and facing these constant uphill battles with no, with the, without the support that they need. Um, and that I think is, that has to be the reckoning that nonprofit leaders take and take seriously and think, what is it that we need to do to um, really do our missions the best service, which is investing in our own capacity, which includes hiring the right fundraising staff so that they can start to grow and raise more money. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, this is my seventh year of the nonprofit MBA podcast, and I, you know, it often is said on many podcasts I've done in the past. The biggest problem is that people don't put enough money into indirect costs uh, yes. for staff. And, you know, and, and so if you're listening today, you know, you have to know that this is a huge deal that, that, that people are afraid. Um, and partly it, it has to do with, uh, I know like 
20 years ago or, or longer, no, it was longer than that, 30 years ago, it started with people finding out that, um, I don't want to say who, but one of the huge mm -hmm. charities out there was only donating, uh, you know, 2% of their, this mm -hmm. is, you know, of mm -hmm. their, uh, of the money coming in to the yeah. actual cause and 98% yeah. to yeah. their staff. I don't, don't hold me to that figure, but it was yeah, a, a yeah. crazy number. Right. And, yeah. um, and so ever since that time, people are so scared yeah. And they've gone in the complete opposite direction. And, you know, you have to know you listen as someone who donates to nonprofits and myself. Okay. And who's on the board of a nonprofit. I have no problem going to a major donor and saying, listen, I need, we, we need this donation that you're making to go to, to indirect costs for salaries because it makes an investment where we can, we can raise more money or, we can, you know, we have these operational things going on and we can't do it because we're giving all the money away. And as, right. as a donor myself, I'm a businessman. I'm like, I get it. I yeah. get it. But people are afraid to have that conversation. So, I mean, this is old news. And if it's not old news to our listeners, mm. uh, it's old news and you gotta <laughs> be going for that more. Um, so, what is the third thing, the trend that you're seeing? So um, I think that the, the third thing I would say, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit um, at the beginning with the first, which is um, that there are so many other ways that donors um, want to get involved with it, or exercise their, philanthro their philanthropic principles and priorities. So, you know, we're seeing it through increased Facebook fundraiser um, uh, campaigns and involvement. We're seeing it through GoFundMe. Um, now, about 40% of accounts on GoFundMe are from nonprofits, but we have certainly seen over the last couple of years this increase in people giving to other people and other families and other individual causes that are on that are set up for GoFundMe because they feel compelled to want to do something to help and they can they feel like they can see that result. Um, and so there are you know the um, and we are also seeing um, an increase in donors giving to donor advised funds. Now I think it was in 2020 or 2021 when many of the the larger um, donor advised fund um, uh, management firms like, you know, the Fidelis and Chair, uh, Schwab's and um, Vanguard's of the world, they all released their kind of minimum of what, uh, what you need to set up a donor advised fund. So it became very accessible very quickly for so many people. And so, you know, there are many people who are thinking, um, I think it's something like 1.5 million uh, donor advised funds now in the U.S. Um, and the numbers are pretty staggering. I think it's something like uh, we saw something like 40 billion that was contributed into donor advised funds, um, and you know, pretty significant amount that was granted out. So it, this is absolutely um, a giving vehicle of choice now for many organizations, uh, for many donors. And they're seeing this as an opportunity to still put away money that they would they want to give and maybe not give in that moment because the choice is abundant. Um, and they want to be thoughtful and intentional about where they're giving their dollars, whether it's a $100 gift, a $10 gift, a thousand or more. Um, and so those... We have to recognize that 
uh, donors have a lot more options now for how they can exercise their generosity. Uh, and the, the landscape of donors is actually becoming a little bit more sophisticated. So they are thinking about how do I leverage what resources, financial resources I have so that I can um, fulfill my philanthropic, you know, uh, priorities and have the best impact for these gifts. Uh, and so as fundraisers and nonprofit leaders, we have to be cognizant of what is driving those donors uh, to be philanthropic and to be generous. What is it that's, um, what are the ways that they're giving? Um, how are they choosing? What's their 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 giving channel of choice? Um, where does this nonprofit fit into what they want to achieve through their gifts and their giving um, strategies? And we have to really um, ensure that we're taking into account all the different ways that they might be giving. Um, and there are a lot of critics about uh, out there about donor advised funds, but I would say it's really not our place to be telling people how they should be using their money. If they want to put it into a donor advised fund and hold it so that they can grant it out uh, at a different time, that's their choice. Um, it's the same with, you know, saying people who have amassed, you know, millions and billions should should be giving out money. Yeah, maybe, maybe they should, but it's also their money. So um, it's on us to be really focusing on as, as fundraisers and leaders to focus on what we can control and be re respectful and mindful of all the ways that donors are utilizing what financial resources they have for better, for, for good and for the better, you know, the betterment of our, of our causes and, and communities. So let's, in a short sentence, let's repeat those three trends that we, we talked about. What was, what was number one? Uh, number one was that uh, the giving, although it uh, adjusted for inflation was less than the pri the previous year. So 2022 was less, but then 2021, the reality is that it's not surprising. Uh, it was sort of course correcting from two record setting years uh, prior to that. And in fact, we're still talking about a half a trillion dollars of contributed um, con contributions to nonprofits. So in the grand scheme of things, giving it, it, the sky is not falling. Giving is still, still remains strong. It was just course correcting from um, okay. extraordinary years. Number two. Uh, number two is that the uh, uh, the number of donors and the number of volunteers has been steadily declining. We have been tracking this for the last uh, 20 years and seen a 20% decline, uh, in in, certainly in the number of donors. So we really do need to be thinking about the donor experience and our donor retention rates as organizations so that we can hold the donors who are who care about our causes, most importantly. And then the third is uh, that you know, there are many different ways that donors can be giving, um, and it will be to uh, nonprofit organizations. It could be to their donor advised funds. It could be through other um, uh, person to person cha channels. It could be in other ways. So we have to um, be mindful of the fact that donors, um, that people are in, in, at their base, they are really, they want to do good. Uh, and the old model of people giving to charities and nonprofit registered charities as the only way to be philanthropic and generous uh, is no longer the way of today. Okay. You know, I know I'm a neophyte in this. Um, I listen to experts like yourself. Um, and what I want to say, see, is the, the trends that we saw over the last 10 years 
And then after that, I, what I'd like to do is get a projection from you about what's going to go in the next several years. But the, some of the things that I've heard, um, that I've heard or seen, um, and they're not in any order, mm -hmm. was how software, again, mm. this isn't the biggest deal, but how software has come down to the smallest nonprofits to be able to manage their donor base, their communication. It's, you know, it's the accounting that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. You know, all of these services now have come down to the smaller nonprofits so that they can be run very, very efficiently, effectively. And if you haven't started using software, then that is a good area to really kind of move into. Um, uh, fair enough. You agree with that in the last 10 yeah. years? 100%. Um, and especially for the smaller to mid-sized nonprofits. Um, so uh, I've seen such a great growth um, in in CRMs for nonprofits. So yep. you know, there's really no excuse for nonprofits to be sticking with QuickBooks or Excel as their CRMs or as their kind of donor tracking systems, because there are many platforms now that are either free or um, have a scaled um, uh, subscription fee, you know, monthly fee that's based on revenue uh, or record size or things like that. So there, uh, and some of them are um, are still quite good. In fact, I would say even better than the the sort of the the, the older the quote unquote old giants of the of the industry. So absolutely that. Um, there are um, a lot of other communication tools and platforms now uh, that nonprofits can certainly use and take advantage of that all and many of these now are integrating with the, the CRMs or sharing APIs so that uh, if you send something out on one platform, it you can connect it to your CRM and then it's tracked in there. Many of them are actually also built in to CRMs. Uh, communications tools or finance. There's certainly integrations with finance tools uh, as well. So there's um, a lot of different ways. If you start with a solid CRM, for example, then you can find out who they're who they partner with and build out so that you can minimize uh, repetition of, of your staff to have to do manually do multiple things, um, which creates more work, can create more mistakes, and it adds to the already overstretched bandwidth. Um, there's also now, um, we've seen, started to see this in the last couple of years, I'd say probably 2020, 2021, um, we've started seeing an acceleration of AI and other predictive modeling tools. Um, I mean, we've certainly, we have always with our clients, we've used, you know, wealth screening and we've, um, you've been using analytics tools to dig into donor data which then uses some formulas for predictive modeling of like which segments within a, a donor file might be more inclined to become monthly donors as one example. But certainly um, there's a lot of great applications for AI to, for nonprofits to be able to not do just those things, but also help them to be more efficient with their uh, programming, uh, their programming work, if they if that's an, a good application for that, or they could become for in terms of fundraising, they might be able to do a little bit more prospecting using AI tools that um, are outside of you know their their what they can do with their donor file. So it could help them with acquisition, for example. And again, many of those are. Um, are, are open to um, and accessible to smaller to mid-sized nonprofits m more than ever before. And 
there is, um, uh, I, I sit on a, um, an advisory council for something called fundraising.ai, which is really, you know, this sort of came out of um, ChatGPT, which burst onto the market last year around this time. Uh, and there's suddenly these applications for how do we use ChatGPT and other, you know, sort of AI uh, um, um, services like that to be able to, you know, sort of implement more effectively into our fundraising, you know, communications or uh, other tools. To, some can actually write, um, start to do acknowledgments or to do draft solicitations or draft talking points. Um, again, there's a there's a purpose for it, but it doesn't mean that it's absolute. Um, and so there's still a human element of it. And I and I don't believe it's going to replace anyone's job. I do think it's going to help, you know, especially if you've got writer's block and you're like, I have to write this appeal and I don't know where even where to start. You give it a prompt. It, it Some of them can integrate with like, you know, your own website so that you can pull information out. Some of them can actually be, um, you know, you, you can feed it information not, not accessible, you know, to the general public and you can come up with um, appeals or other talking points as a starting point. And then of course, you're, there's going to be the actual intelligence of a human being who can then refine it uh, and, um, and make it more tailored and customized and less kind of um, less obvious as um, something that was a um, uh, generated by an AI tool like that, but there's there's still kind of a, a worry of what this all means, you know, because ChatGPT really um, caused some curiosity and um, worry, you know, fear and a little bit of hesitation. I mean, let's face it; the sector is not um, not quick to adopt lots of new things, so there's uh, it's getting interest, and there are um, efforts to to ensure that there's a safe use for AI tools within the sector, uh, safe and um, I would say ethical, although safe is really the, the kind of the easier word to understand. So that the people understand you know, there are guardrails and there are kind of guidelines for how does an organization use other all of these AI tools uh, in a way that's responsible uh, and does no harm. So. That's, I think, one of the areas that will continue to gain traction over the you know next year or two and beyond for sure. Um, we're starting to see some um, screening services and other vendors who are incorporating AI capability within their uh, their prospecting and their research capabilities. So that's something to be to watch as well. And again, I think. It, there are different price points for them now, but um, smaller to mid-sized nonprofits really shouldn't dismiss it because they feel like it might be out of you know the realm of possibility or it's too expensive or whatever. Um, really, as they think about, if they've already invested in a good CRM, um, CRMs are probably going to go that direction at some point as well. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I would not be surprised. But look at all the tech capabilities that can help the administrative staff, the executive staff, and the program staff do their jobs better. And I do, um, I think that the early adopters, the ones who are more willing to take some risks and try some things out, um, will be able to then free up a little bit of time and will be able to do their work a little bit more um, efficiently and effectively over time. Yeah, I mean, and I think this 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 next thing I'm about to say, the trends that I've seen over the last ten years, um, 
the past 10 years, or, you know, um, it does relate to AI because I, and I have some personal experience in this and that is for as many tools as there's out there, um, the donors are feeling that they're not being thanked. Oh, yep. And I have personal experience with that. I raised quite a bit of money for an organization and I was hardly thanked at all. Yeah. And I won't, you know, I just, you know, yeah. I'm not doing it again. And it really didn't take much. And so, you know, relying on technology, um, because keep in mind that if, if you're relying on that technology, keep in mind that everybody else has that technology too. And so, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're sending out, you know, emails and you're sending out newsletters because it's easier to do it now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so mm -hmm. is everybody else. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. the difference is, you know, I mean, what should this organization have done? And they weren't small. They were about an $8 million nonprofit. You know, they, they should have known how much money I raised. Mm -hmm. and made, uh, you know, a number of gestures toward me to thank me for the amount of money I raised for the organization and gave, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm yeah. not even counting that. Okay. So yeah. we're talking about, you know, $25,000, you know, yeah. wasn't small yeah. and it was the first year, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, um, so don't forget the human touch, which is, oh my God, it's your ace in the hole. It's your ace in the hole to be yeah. able to uh, just call somebody, write a handwritten note, go mm -hmm. see them, take them out to lunch. Jeez, it makes the business fun. Right. You know? And um, so, uh, you know, and to pick up the phone, you know, and to make that part of your monthly, weekly practice, you know, pick up the phone once a week, call one of your best donors and Thank, just see how they're doing. Thank them. Don't ask them for any more money. Just check in with them. You know, this is not rocket science. No. And I, and I, um, I hate hearing the, the example you just shared because um, it, that, that was, that was such a bridge that was burned, right? You had, um, you worked hard, you were generous of, you know, your time and your network and your, your own financial capabilities. Um, and it wasn't recognized um, and celebrated in the way that it should have. And so that, that makes my fundraiser heart, you know, kind of crack a little but bit. I, but I listen, I hear it all the time. I read about it all the time. Now I see it personally happen to me, you know, yes. um, and, and actually it happened with two organizations I was involved with. So um, even as a board member, yep. thanking the board member and, uh, you know, because you, and usually your bone, you know, the, your board member is usually your biggest donors. Yes. And, yeah. and then plus they're donating their time too. So, um, yeah. So, you know, that's, that was another trend. And we already talked about it over the last 10 years, you know, the, the idea about indirect costs as well. So yeah. I, we have a couple of minutes left. So we'll let you already talked about AI going forward, right? Yeah. What do you think the big trends are going to be? Give me two big trends that are, that you're going to see in the next five years. We already talked about AI. What, what are the two, uh, uh, two of the big trends that you think are predicting that's going to happen in the next five years? Well, you've just kind of um, teed up what one of them that I think um, it's my, it's usually the soapbox that I, I 
um, stand on for every presentation, podcast, anything that I'm uh, I'm part of, it's it's around donor retention because. While I started our conversation with saying, you know, there are these other factors, uh, external factors that nonprofits don't have control of that are influencing how um, a person will give or in what ways they will give. The, the part that we are in control of as nonprofit leaders is that donor experience and paying attention to who are we keeping, how are we stewarding and celebrating our donors and engaging with them so that they want to stick around. Um, that has been um, been a declining trend over the last few years, and I, you know, I think it's probably over. I'd say somewhere over the last ten years, it has declined from certainly fifty percent. I think it probably fifteen years ago, it might have been fifteen percent. Um, a little bit, maybe past fifteen years ago, it over the last few years has declined down to about forty three percent. So that means, on average, nonprofits are losing sixty percent of their donors each and every year, and for first time donors. They're losing on average eighty percent of their of their um, donors. So again, that's not if you think about you know a first time gift that you might make, you're probably not surprised to hear that because of that organizations are not, especially if it's a small gift, they're not prioritizing that stewardship of every single gift that comes in. Uh, and we are still uh, in this old mindset of we've got to you know, prioritize based on gift amount. Uh, and the reality is that especially for first time donors, they're not giving their very best gift the first time they're testing it out. They're seeing what's my, what's the experience like? Is this an organization that I do want to invest in over time and increased amounts? And nonprofits are partly the mindset is not there to be thinking about retention as a metric that we have to measure and hold to. Um, we are often focused on just dollar amounts that we, you know, budget amounts. What's our fundraising goal that we have to hit? And that means, and then the, the mindset is we've got to keep asking as many times as we can to try to hit that, to close as many gifts to hit that goal. When, if we stop and think about how many donors did we have last year? How many donors did we have the year before? What are our donor retention trends? Are we keeping our donors? If we're not, that's step one to try to reverse that attrition and try to start to raise more money because the people who are the most likely to increase giving are the people who have already given to you. Um, I, we had a client once a number of years ago who said, we need to get more donors. And I said, hey, okay, hang on here. How many names do you have in your file? And they said, we have 20,000 names. And I said, well, how many are actually donors? And they it was like under a thousand. I said, okay, so you don't actually need to get more donors. You need to do something with the 19,000 names that are in your file that haven't been inspired to give. So I think um, I don't, I'm not optimistic that that number, that donor retention trend is going to increase over the next couple of years. Um, in fact, it might hold steady or it might start to continue to decline. My hope is that nonprofits will get that wake-up call that they have to put this as a priority because it kind of it kind of tracks with the declining number of donors that we're seeing, um, and so that that's the the key to sustainability and to financial growth for organizations is to prioritize donor retention both of first-time donors and of existing donors uh, so that those will continue to stick around and they'll continue to give. There are the tools like automating welcome series. So those, those gifts come through from a first-time donor, they get in, you know put into a welcome series of a couple of different touch points. It doesn't take the human interaction off the hook, but it at least gets something out the door so that that overstretched fundraiser doesn't feel like 
you know, they, they, you know, week or two or three go by and they haven't thanked that first time donor. I just became a first time donor to an organization. Uh, and within a few days, I got a call on my, on my cell phone. Um, I wasn't able to pick it up and they actually left me a text because they couldn't get through, uh, to voicemail. And so they said, Hey, just want, just want to say, thank you. I saw that you made a first time gift. We are so delighted and grateful and can't wait to tell you more updates as we are, you know, putting your, your, you know, donor dollars to good work. And then they sent me an email and, you know, it's like right there. It made me feel that I was seen and that I was. They're organized too. Yeah, Correct. And like I think that has to be. Maybe because yeah. we're in the industry, but you know, in general, yeah. But it has to be. There's that balance of how do we use the tech tools like email automation um, and other, you know, other um, other tools like what we've been talking about uh, with, you know, good CRMs and good um, donor data and um, AI capabilities. But there's also that human element. And so yep. the mindset has to be amongst executive leaders and not fundraisers that they carve out time for that human interaction because we we do, right? How often do we say, I'm going to send them a quick email or I'm going to send them a quick text when it's far more powerful to pick up the phone. And even if you leave a voicemail, you're using a different sense. You're doing, You're hearing a voice saying, Thank you so much. We are so grateful, and you can hear it differently than you can seeing an email. Um, yeah, and we already there's already studies that show that we have a negative bias when we receive emails anyway. So it's much it's an old fashioned way of kind of communicating, but will be much more effective in the long run. All good stuff. Uh, you know, I think we could talk for a lot more. Uh, unfortunately, it's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank so much Barbara O'Reilly from Windmill Hill Consulting for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app as well. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is in the top 1% of podcasts that are listened to uh, in the nonprofit space. And we're very proud of that. And part of that has to also do with the, you know, giving us a five-star review as well so more people can hear about us. So if you can do that, we really appreciate that. Um, and also, of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And Barbara, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, the best way uh, is uh, by visiting our website, uh, whillconsulting.com. And uh, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. And so people can find me on LinkedIn. Great. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, always a pleasure, Stephen. Thanks again. So, so I want to thank everybody um, who's listening today, um, not so much for listening today, which would be the normal thing to do, but for you know trying to make the world a better place. I don't think there's a day that doesn't go by when we don't have major issues going on, but you guys are out there on the front line every single day, every single minute, every single hour, trying to make the world a better place. And I thank you for that. I know Barbara does as well. And I just want to remind you that you're no good to your employees, you're no good to your cause, you're no good to your family and friends if you don't take care of yourself first. And we have a lot of people who are listening today who are very, very, very great at giving of themselves. But I just want to remind you that that saving the world is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So make sure you're doing the things for yourself first, and then you can take care of everybody else. Other than that, have a fantastic day at the end. Uh, this today is being recorded on December 13th of 2023. And I want to wish everybody upcoming uh, very happy holidays 
and a happy and prosperous new year. Thank you for everything you do. And of course, thank you for listening to the nonprofit MBA podcast.